0: Welcome to another episode of Ancena and Strength and today we have a very unusual guest (laughs) when I say unusual we have a male guest today and it makes me very very happy I should bring more of you guys on here and share your perspective on business, virtuality, life and everything that we share in this podcast. We have Bob How, Bob how are you?
1: Oh, I'm wonderful, Maria. Thank you for having me. It's such a pleasure to be here.
0: Thank you for being here. I did email Bob and I was like, make sure you I would just want to clarify this is a podcast for women. And he was like, don't worry, we have a lot of my clients are women and I want to do this. And I'm like, yes, okay, let's do this. So, Bob, you are healing and spirituality and war cultures. Can you tell us a little bit more about yourself so everybody can get to know you?
1: Yeah, sure. So my academic training is as a cultural anthropologist. And what that does is it gives me a global perspective. And my original interest that what got me interested in anthropology in the first place is that when I was a teenager, I was fascinated by other cultures and their attitudes about spirituality. I mean, I was born into a Protestant religion and I didn't like the answers that I got there. So from the time (laughs) I was a kid, um, I was reading about Hinduism, Buddhism, and Taoism by the time I was in junior high and high school. Wow. So I already had a very different view of the world. What anthropology did for me was it helped me to understand the way that these spiritual traditions get practiced in widely different cultures all over the world. So originally, I wanted to do my fieldwork in Asia. In fact, when I was in college as an undergrad, I went to India, and it was my intention to return to lots of different parts of Asia to study the way that that spirituality and healing come together. Mm-hmm. But I went to graduate school at the University of Oklahoma, not to study Native Americans but because of my general interest in the topic, but because I was in Oklahoma. And for the listeners who don't know, there are more different tribes of Native Americans living in the state of Oklahoma than any other state in our country. So because I found That's myself interesting, there, interesting. I figured I would do a short-term study of uh, medicine, of the way of a medicine man. I wanted to meet a medicine man from one of the tribes. And in a, another whole story that would take <laughs> me probably too long is to, to tell you- podcast. <laughs> this old man. Uh, but I met an old man named Oliver Patapone, who was the last medicine man of the Comanche tribe. And he took me into his family, he adopted me as his grandson. And that really began my own personal journey. What a privilege. Would, yeah, it, it, it changed my life in many ways.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And, you know, when I when I looked at what your what your podcast does, and I looked at the profile of the people that you work with i was thinking about what i learned from him as a perfect metaphor to understand how my work connects with your mm-hmm. interest your your listeners thank and if you, you don't mind you. i'll i'll take a little divergence here of to course, tell you Bob. that story and then i'll tell you how it connects to what we're talking about here absolutely so my grandpa chief he was referred to as as chief Pony. he wasn't actually a chief but out of respect people in the community referred to him as chief so i refer to him as my grandpa chief now grandpa chief shared his story with me about he, how he came to be a medicine man that he didn't originally want to be a medicine man but he got deathly ill and he went into the hospital and after he was there for a while one of the doctors came in and he said he said oliver you know we've All of us doctors have had several meetings over your case, and we all are in agreement that we've done everything that we can do for you. You have terminal cancer. We've done everything that we know to do. Now, you can stay in the hospital if you want. If you do, we can ease the pain that you're under, but there are no other procedures that we can do. Or you can go home. So he said, "He, I, call, he, he said, I called my, my son and my wife in, and I told them there's nothing left for me to do here in the hospital. Maybe I should try to take care of this the way that our old folks used to a long time ago. Mm-hmm. Take me out there to the hills and leave me out there. Well, when he told his wife that, she said, you're m- not man enough to take it. They're going to run you off. <laughs> now, let me explain what she meant by that. What yeah. she meant was that there are spirits that occupy these places of power and the spirits before they give you a gift, they'll test you. And if you run away in fear, whatever it was that you went there for, you're never going to get it. And the spirits are, are, if anything, going to make sure you don't get what you went there for. So he said, uh, so I told my son, take me out there and leave me out there in the Hills. And he went to a place in the Wichita Mountains in southwestern Oklahoma, and he brought with him nothing but a sheet to cover himself up with, one eagle feather, which is a symbol of power, and tobacco with four corn shucks or four corn husks that are used to roll up tobacco, uh, prayer smokes, because the real meaning behind tobacco, in case you don't know it, is Tobacco is the means of communication that we spirit. as human beings have with the creator. Mm-hmm. So we went to that place and, um, and waited it out, you know, until finally there was one night that... Uh, so while you're there, no food, no water, uh, no shelter, no comfort of any kind. And he said he was scared the whole time that he was there. And, and he said, toward morning... He could hear a rustling of leaves over toward mount scott and he said when i when i looked up he said i could see what looked like a flame that would light up and then it would go out and then it would light up again and then it would go out and he said all of a sudden i started to realize that this was something that was coming towards me and it was a flame that was coming out of the mouth of it and he referred to this as the as the visitor and he said, I could see a form as it got closer, and I got more and more scared. He said, I was, I was a pathetic man. I was like, when you take a fish and pull it out on dry land, it flops around helpless. He said, I oh, was oh way. And he said, then finally, <laughs> it got up in front of me and shot me with the fire. And he said, when, it, when the fire hit me, he said, that was it. Everything stopped my heart stopped, my breathing stopped. I couldn't do anything but be frozen there in that spot. Until finally, he said the visitor began to speak to me. And he spoke to me in my Comanche language. And the visitor said, he said, What are you doing here? Grandpa Chief said, I'm sick. And the visitor said, there's nothing the matter with you. He said, They told me to go and take care of a man who's real bad off, but you're going to be all right. And the visitor started to take off to the West, but then he turned around one last time and he looked at my grandpa chief and he said, son, did you know that this whole world that we live in comes to a standstill? This whole world stops and comes to a complete standstill for just a moment right before morning and that's the time when things like me can enter into this world well with that that gives me chills (laughs) yeah with that the visitor took off to the west which is often the direction that is identified with death the visitor took off and then a little while later grandpa chief's son came and when he saw him he ran up to him and he said dad how did you make it through the night? It was so cold where you were at last night. And Grandpa Chief said, well, where I was at, it was like springtime. And when they got down off that little rise where he was facing the mountain, everywhere else there was a hard frost on the ground.
0: Wow. Because it had
1: been so cold except where he was. And shortly after that, he was walking down the street in this little downtown um outside of where he lived um he lived in, out in the country but there was a little town called apache oklahoma and he said i was walking down the road and this old comanche medicine woman saw me and she said what happened to you And he said nothing what are you talking about And she said there's something different about you and she really pressed it with him and said so finally i explained to her what what had happened to me and she said you know You may not know it right now, but you're good for something. And sometime soon, you're going to find out what that is. Well, word started to get out to people that he had been through this amazing, transformative experience. And he started to think back to when he was a little boy about the ways that he saw the medicine people, doctor people who were sick. Now, we don't even know exactly when he was born because they didn't keep birth records back then but he was probably born in the late 1800s and when he was thinking back to the way the doctoring that he had seen this was just shortly after the comanches had been placed on reservations and and lived that very different lifestyle he was seeing these these guys that that knew the really really old ways so he was thinking back to the ways of doctoring that he had seen and he said something came to me about how to doctor people who were sick and I became a coal doctor now let me tell you what that means remember that he was healed by fire Mm -hmm. now the way he explained it to me was he said that that I look at it that that sickness is a fire and you've got to fight fire with fire so his doctoring was to build a fire. And let the fire burn down to red coals, and then reach in and take one of the coals out of the fire and put it in his mouth. And he said that what that would do is it would activate my power so that then I could take the patient's flesh in my hands and reshape it back the way that it was supposed to be. And the analogy that he used for me was that it's like when you have wet cement, you can move the wet cement the way that you want while it's wet. And then when it dries, it stays the way it is. And he said, that's the way my patient's flesh is in my hands. I can move them back to the way that they're supposed to be. Now, let me fast forward that story to a story that was near the the last time that I saw him alive. Whenever I would visit his home, he would tell me the stories about who he had doctored and what he had done since the last time I was there. And one day, towards the, towards the end of my time living in Oklahoma, I went to his house and I asked him, you know, what's new, what, what had happened? And he said, I gave up doctoring. And I was shocked by that. I said, really? I said, why? And he said, well, to tell you the truth, now, by, by this point, he's around 90 or so years old. And his so
0: cancer is completely gone.
1: Oh, his cancer has been well, gone, gone for,
0: for a long forever. time. Yeah
1: never went back to the doctor after never that did. so so this is towards the end of his life and he said you know i i lately i just feel like when i doctor somebody that it takes something out of me and i just i don't have it in me anymore and then the next time i went back he told me this story he said i was at the house one day and there was a knock at the door and i went to the door and there was a man standing there and behind him was a station wagon with his wife and his children in the car and the man said to me he said uh, you know i have my wife with me and i, I are you all over And grandpa chief said yeah and he said i'm hoping that you'll doctor my wife because she's terribly ill and he said uh, listen i'd really like to help you but but i, I gave up doctoring recently I hope you'll understand, I, I, you know, I feel bad, but I, I, I really can't do it. And the man was disappointed, and he left. And then about a week later, the same man came to the door, and Grandpa Chief answered the door, and the, the man said, listen, I know you said that you gave up doctoring, but honestly, we have nowhere else to go. The doctors are not able to do anything with her, and I'm afraid she's going to die, and I'm, I'm hoping that you'll reconsider. Grandpa Chief said, you know, I'd really like to help you, but like I said, I gave up doctoring. And he said, just then, my wife came from behind me. This was my grandma, Esther. And she said, you heard what that man said. You heard him say that he has nowhere else to go. You have the obligation to help him. Well, Grandpa Chief doctored that man, uh, doctored that man's wife. And I I honestly don't know what the outcome was of the doctoring. But it wasn't that long after that that he passed away. I I can't help but think that somehow he knew that that was what was coming. Now, I tell the story. The story is, in a way, it's a sad story. But that's not the reason I'm telling this story at all. I'm actually telling this as an incredibly Strong, powerful story of inspiration and here's why and here's how I'm going to connect it back to the women uh, entrepreneurs and people who are interested in spirituality who are your listeners here's what that story tells me the story tells me that in a traditional culture like the Comanche culture there is a belief that whatever it is that heals us carries with it a responsibility to help others along Mm -hmm. that somehow there's this formula that if i am transformed in my life now it's my job to bring other people along as well not to hoard whatever it is that i've received but to share it and that somehow within my own transformation Wise the means that I will use to help others to transform. Thanks. Now let's Thanks, go Bob. all the way to. Yeah, yeah. Thank
0: you. It's just a lot of people, you know, when they think about, they have something to give the word, they go into this, the, the ego takes over sometimes and it's like, Oh, I'm afraid. What if people won't listen? What if, but if you know, it actually works. It's your duty as a human being to be able to pass on that to someone else. If you are just, you are the transmuter, you're the vessel, you're the tool, you're the everything that goes into helping another person.
1: And I'm guessing that that's a message that you already know and that your <laughs> listeners are going to get on a deep level that somebody else might not get. I mean, it's a certain understanding of spirituality mm-hmm. that, that my transformation is not for me alone.
0: Yes. Yeah, absolutely.
1: I have the, obligation to give back to my community and that's the way that we all help each other along so now if I can kind of fast forward or not fast forward let me take a parallel track with that so (laughs) so for my entire life I've been involved since then so that adventure started when I was 21 years old so that's many many years now in my life Um, so now parallel to that while I was in graduate school I also began an academic study of curanderismo, of the traditional healing system from Mesoamerica, including Mexico. And that That, became, go ahead.
0: Yeah, no, I mean, because curanderismo is such a topic to go to. Like, I know a lot of people relate curanderismo to, to the dark magic. Right, like we see things like in Haiti, or or we think even things see in Mexico, and we see it in like brujería, yeah, and that's why. But it's it's very it's very different, right? Bob, can yeah. you? Yeah, can, I'll let you speak now. Sorry. Yeah, so
1: so yeah, so let me let me talk about that real quick. So um, I, I began with an academic interest, and many many years later, I began um actually studying, being a student, and eventually an apprentice of a number of curanderos and curanderas and my first teacher was a woman who liked to be referred to as la golondrina who lived in san antonio texas yeah and what that's, she a me- that's a bird that's a bird in exactly.
0: spanish Yeah.
1: <laughs> what she told me was that that curanderismo is only on the light side but here's what will happen when people find out that you are a curandero They may approach you because they want you to do something on their behalf. They want you, whether it's to cause harm to another person with a hex, Mm -hmm. that's brujeria. But even if they want you to do a love spell and bring a lover to them, it's the point is that it is using, um, imposing your will on someone else. And the way that she explained it was that there's a line in the sand. And as soon as you step over that line, even once, you are no longer a curandero or curandera, you are now a brujo or a bruja, Mm -hmm. meaning that you've gone to that dark side because you are now manipulating a person instead of bringing about their highest good, because in curanderismo we never dream of doing that we ask for whatever is the highest good for my patient or my client that's my intention and we invoke if anything we invoke divine forces in order to help us so there's a huge distinction between and
0: I, my mom is from the Philippines, and curanderismo is huge over there. That's how my parents met. My dad did a documentary uh, around curanderismo. But it was, I remember watching, it was really, really intense. You know, it's like, the I don't know. I don't know if it was magic or what, but they're sticking their hands in their stomachs without actually cutting it. You know, things like surgery. Yeah, Yeah, things that visually you're like, okay, and we're talking about 20 years, 25 years ago when he did this. So it's not that they had the special effects and anything that they have now, you know, it was real stuff. So, but I remember I say my my dad always used to joke with my mother, who's like, Oh yeah, you put a hex on me, so you I'll fall in love with you. You know, <laughs> that's how we ended up here. <laughs> so that was always a joke at home. But uh yeah, yeah, there is there you said it's a very thin line, and it's depending on what the person wants.
1: So now to tie this into a nice neat little package for you, um I got involved with energy healing, with medical qigong sound healing a whole bunch of different modalities in the work that i do now with my clients one of the things that i often have is um i would say the vast majority of the people who work with me are women which is Mm -hmm. what i mentioned to you yeah and also a lot of them are themselves healers who are already working in one healing modality or another and in keeping with this formula that I told you I was inspired by, by my grandpa chief all those years ago, the way that I work with, with these clients is, number one, what are the things that are standing in your way? What are the obstacles that still are facing you based on emotions from the past, past what we call susto? Mm-hmm. Now susto in curanderismo translates into english to mean usually anthropologists call it magical fright i prefer to refer to it as spiritual fright and there are moments in our experience where we go through something that is so difficult in the moment that a part of our soul is left behind at that spot at that time and that place and it's a strategy that as human beings we have built within us to help us to move on when our survival depends on having the capacity to go on. Kind of like when you go into a shock after you're in an accident, you know, you don't feel the pain right away. And in the same way, this spark of the soul gets left behind. The problem is every time it happens, you lose a little bit more of your vital energy or life force. And if you have a string of sustos, which most of us do have, it means over the course of your lifetime, you have less and less energy to bring to your daily life until you're really, really depleted. And we have ways of bringing that spark of the soul back. Mm-hmm. So the point is we we work together to get rid of all of these obstacles, all of the things that that have been blocking the kind of spiritual growth that most of us want. And then if I'm working with somebody who is a healer, or we go to those sustos, we find out what do those sustos have to do with your way of healing so that we craft a specific healing modality that's based on what their experiences were, their own hardships and their own traumas. And that is the way that each person has their own signature work. Now it could be, it could happen through healing but somebody could be an artist and their work is going to be about how they got healed expressed through their art it could be expressed Mm -hmm. through a business it -hmm. could be expressed in anything that you do but somehow if it's connected to those limitations again if i go back to the formula of grandpa chief your transformation is yours and yours alone and carries with it the seed of how you're going to help others to do the same, mm-hmm. to be healed of whatever is holding them back.
0: That's so true. But, but I think a lot of coaches and healers choose, we choose to do what we do based on that. You know, I know some people is like, oh, are you certified? Did you do a course? And I'm like, My whole life was a course. (laughs) You know, it was it was all those lessons that I learned through life to get me where I'm at today. To say, okay, if you try this, I know it works because I tried it. Yes, you tweak things because everybody's different, of course. But you know, the basic what your as you said, your transformation is what's... it. I said transformations are the tools for somebody else's life.
1: Exactly. Mm -hmm. So that's how that's how I would. I would work with you, for example. I would say, Maria, well, you know, what transformed your life? Well, what made you want to be a coach in the first place?
0: Cool. Where would I start? <laughs> there's loads.
1: Maybe when that I have I you on it my me. podcast, I you can answer
0: <laughs> But I think because I always tell my clients, you know, life is not only one. There's not only one story. It's based on a thousand stories. And as you were telling me yours before we started the podcast, it's interesting how One thing brings you to all these different things, and then it brings you back where you really wanted to be.
1: Exactly, it just yeah. Yeah, I told a whole big long complex story (laughs) about how it all came full circle, and it had to do with a sacred intentionality to begin with.
0: Yeah, yeah. It's that intention that you want. You wanted it for so long, but it, it kind of stayed in the back of your head, and life brought you to these different detours, and then you finally see yourself there, and you're like, oh, my God, here we are. <laughs> this is where I was supposed to be. No? Exactly.
1: It's amazing how yeah. that happened.
0: Yeah, it's beautiful. For instance, for me, it's always been like that, that freedom. I always wanted to have the freedom. In my whole entire life, I seek that by trying to get the best job, you know, the most high-end paid job, like make the most money as possible. And that was actually, it wasn't giving me the freedom I wanted. It was actually dragging me more into, you know, this like box and labels and like, oh, I have to keep doing this until I said, okay, this is it. And the intention came back and I'm like, okay, I'm back where I wanted to be, you know, but you have to go through all those steps. Like that's just life.
1: Because because in the back of your mind, if I can kind of, Yeah, retell your story. In the back of your mind, there was this idea of freedom. And then you had to find out what freedom was and what freedom wasn't. Yeah. So you actually discovered what freedom wasn't Mm -hmm. so that you knew what freedom was.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. And now you
1: can appreciate it in a different way. Mm.
0: And also because I think, Bob, it's is different for all of us, you know, like my perception or my idea for free of freedom might be very different from somebody else's. It's like confidence. It's like, you know, like fears, like fears for me are probably different from somebody else's. You know, like I know for a lot of entrepreneurs, they always say like, oh, it's the fear of people are going to reject you. People are not going to like what you want. You're offering them my fear as an entrepreneur for, for the first year, it was actually somebody saying yes to me. I was petrified somebody will say yes to me. And then I had to actually, you know, work, not work, but you know, I'm like, oh, what if they say yes? And I'm like, where do I start? Am I actually capable of this? You know, all those things kicked in. So for, for a year, I just didn't have a client because of that fear. <laughs> <laughs> you know, but then I learned how to let the ego on the side. As you said, our transformation, it's our duty to bring that to, onto somebody else's life, to help somebody else.
1: And the, and the story part of it, I think, is important also, because story is the way that we relate to one another. And story is the way that we understand our lives. Mm-hmm. And story can either help you or it can harm you. Yeah. So that's what, I, that's what I'll, I'll share with your listeners is that the problem with stories is that very often they're self-limiting stories. And these self-limiting stories become a loop that plays over and over mm-hmm. again. And see, it's like a self-fulfilling prophecy. See, I knew that about myself. I knew I didn't deserve something better yeah. than this. And that's why yeah. I end up yeah. with this over and over again. Well, the great thing about that is that that story can be changed into one that doesn't end the way that it started. Mm-hmm. We have we have choice in how we tell our story and how we create our story, and that's why narrative medicine is is so much a part of this healing process that, that I'm describing as well.
0: It's like what you do is beautiful. I mean, for being for being on first. Firsthand and learning all those things from people who you know who carry SSL to you, carry this for generations in 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 their linear and their blood and in, in, in their genes as well, and for you to be able to to do this to learn from them and do it, it's absolutely beautiful. Uh,
1: yeah, and it was. I have to say, it was also the gift of my entire life. Mm-hmm. And you know, I'll I'll be honest with you. A part of my story that I didn't share so far is that. That I am an only child. Uh, my father was an only child. My mother only has one brother. I was raised by my maternal grandmother. I lost my grandfather when I was seven years old. So I was raised by my grandmother in what I would describe as a broken family, and so I didn't. I never had family to turn to, to have that strength of a family background. Mm-hmm. And no other family members lived near me, but now, when I go back to where my native families are, I literally have hundreds of relatives. So that was Beautiful. so that is so much of a part of that healing story of my own that that 's part of the formula for me is the importance of extending family and community to the people around us.
0: That's beautiful, though. Oh, I loved how you put that. <laughs> you no, know, but we think, but sometimes we think we we're alone, and we go into this, like you know, we build this huge walls, and it's like, no, just go and talk to somebody. There are more weirdos like you out there. <laughs> You're not the only one.
1: <laughs> <laughs> That's good news.
0: <laughs> <laughs> it is, but you know, I was telling somebody, I was like, I find it hard sometimes to speak to friends of mine that are known for twenty years. Because the conversations that I have, like the one I'm having with you, they're looking at me like I'm a weirdo. And they're like, what is she talking about? Like, are you speaking another language? And I'm like, no, I'm not. But speaking mm-hmm. with you, it's easy because you can understand. We can understand each other in the level of language exactly. we're speaking.
1: <laughs> well, chances are you grew in a way that your friends didn't. I, I just had the same experience this past weekend with, a you know, a friend that I knew back in college. And honestly, you know. You kind of stayed back there.
0: Yeah, yeah, it sometimes does. I always say, like, people come into your life for a reason, you know. I to learn something. There's all I don't think anybody in your life comes for coincidence. It's just everybody's meant to be good or bad. So yeah, and sometimes that story needs to end in order to open another story with somebody else.
1: Exactly right. Mm-hmm. One yeah. door closes so that another one opens, one opens, and that really is what with uh, this narrative medicine of story is all about.
0: Can I ask you, you've done, you've done the, for somebody who, let's say they want to try it and they want to, they want to do, because you work with Tess as well, if they want to do some sort of ceremony and it's their first time doing it. And I'm asking this because there's a lot of people out there who are promoting, oh, go in this ayahuasca retreat and you have to take ayahuasca for five days straight, which is, I personally think it's a big no-no but because of my own experience, but you know, it's just like the way it's being sold nowadays. Um, I think what we were talking about a little bit about this, that people does it, you know, they go to Peru, they do ayahuasca one time, they come back and they think they're like they're the big shamans and you got to be very careful. This is not something, this is nothing to, nothing to be messed around with. I mean, we're talking about, yeah, we're talking about spirits. We're talking about spirits guides. We're talking about something that has been here for, ancient years like you no know, and and you need that person to guide you through and um, what would you recommend somebody who's just getting on this journey like especially because i know where i have spiritual entrepreneurs here but a lot of people hasn't tried it they are curious about it but they haven't yet because they don't know how
1: well let me use an analogy of what my one of my teachers told me i have a i have a teacher in oaxaca who's a dear friend mentor and like a brother to me laurencio lopez nunez and when i was learning the temascal, which is the the mesoamerican version of the sweat lodge what he told me was this is nothing to play around with Mm -hmm. when you have somebody in there with you their life is in your hands and if that's the way you look at it it brings a certain reverence as well as responsibility to your shoulders in how you work with another human being it also tells me a lot about the people who think that because they go through a few ayahuasca experiences that that makes them a shaman and a guide for for someone else and i would say that in the same way they have someone else's life in their hands and if they don't know what they're doing they don't have any business guiding somebody else through it um ayahuasca is very powerful in the community and in the culture that it came from i'm suspicious of taking it out of that culture i live in new york and every weekend of the year there are people who hold ayahuasca ceremonies in living rooms all over new york city mm-hmm. i wouldn't in a million years go near one of those that's me uh, that's my yeah. opinion
0: it's just because lately, it seems like on the last couple of years, it became this fashionable thing. It's, it's something else. You know, people, it's like, okay, everybody wants to heal, which is great. And I absolutely encourage people to, you know, go back and try to heal traumas, try to heal their, their ancestor linears, everything, but there's no quick fix and people have to stop trying to exactly. go for a quick fix.
1: That's exactly, it's funny that you mentioned that. I was just having this conversation <laughs> yesterday. I yeah. um, but that's, that's what people want. They want the quick fix. And my answer is always, you know, we go at our own, re- our own pace. Whatever yes. is right for you is the way that it's going to unfold. Once you're ready, the healing will pop. Yep. You know, yep. it'll happen in a moment, but it may not be the moment you want it to. Yep. And you have to do a lot of hard work in the meantime. Mm -hmm, I don't think there is an instant way to enlightenment or healing or anything else. And that's why, you know, there are horror stories about people turning to ayahuasca and the things that have happened. You know, there are people who are never the same again after it. There are stories of people dying while they were doing it. One person murdered another person during an ayahuasca ceremony. So, you know, there's a tremendous karma that is attached to this and, and yeah. ways to be harmed in it as well as healed.
0: But it's not, I just want to clarify, Bob, and I think you might agree with me. It's not the medicine. It's not the medicine. It's, it's in the environment that you do it. It's like every, every other thing. We're talking about something. You're seeing visions. Because it's, like uh, it's not like a drug that you see hallucination. This is visions that, might, that you go through when you do ayahuasca. And you and have
1: the context, to be. Mm-hmm. The context means everything.
0: Yeah. Yeah.
1: So what we call set and setting you know, where are you?
0: Mm-hmm. Who's
1: guiding you? What is your relationship with this person? How yeah. much do you know about the culture that it comes out of? Yeah, that's as important as you and your needs in the moment.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Because I remember I had I had the opportunity to do it a couple of years ago. And it was a great shaman that was coming. He was coming from Peru and it was a very well known. There was like the three stages, right? We had the whole cleanse day, the second day of ayahuasca, the third day, I think it was peyote. And I personally, I didn't even get to meet him, but I knew in my heart, I knew I wasn't ready for it. You know, mm-hmm. something as much as I wanted to, part of me was like, I do, because I was like, I was also it was like, yes, I want to heal everything, you know, and I started with therapies, I started with a lot of holistic things. But when it came to that moment to say, okay, we're going to do the ceremony, I was like, I don't think I'm ready. I I, I really, it's something I would love to experience someday, but I don't want to do it out of the fear of missing out, because that was the biggest thing. It was like, you know, he only comes here once a year. And I'm like, yeah, but, you know.
1: Will you listen to your intuition yes
0: yeah yeah and i i just it's, this is what i want to share with this with the people who are listening that when it comes to that be very you know, be very careful listen to yourself you know if you feel like okay you're absolutely 100 percent secure and ready then do it but if not there'll be plenty of other opportunities yeah. as well <laughs>
1: And there are lots of ways to heal.
0: Yeah, exactly, Bob. So, Bob, I love talking to you. We we're saying this. I was like, we could be talking here forever. So many different topics. Uh, I mean, spirituality, like it, it's just like a, so many different things, you know, and, and in so many different ways, especially in spirituality, of practicing as well. No, we we don't have all our shit together. And I'm just gonna say it as simple as that, you know, because you're spiritual doesn't mean you have all your shit together. Every day is something new that you learn, you know, about True. yourself, about others, and and that's that's what you do. I mean, it's just it's the process. But if anybody wants to reach out, get to know you better, and work with you, where they can find you.
1: Well, I'm gonna I'm gonna even go a step further than that. I have something for free to offer all awesome. of your friends. so uh, so I put together a game called Sustos. Now you remember I talked about Sustos as <laughs> yeah. being these traumas that we experienced, and just a quick, quick story about how I created it. I based it on the game Shoots and Ladders that most of us played when we were children. Mm-hmm. And in shoots and ladders, you roll the dice and then your your piece moves along and sometimes you take a ladder up sometimes you take a ladder down but what most people don't know is that that game was originally a game used by among Hindu monks so that they could learn about the spiritual path and process no way. <laughs> so i took the concept of that and i used it to illustrate the how those of us who are on this healing path Go through four different levels of it over the course of our lifetime. And I created a game that you can download for free from my website that you can either play by yourself and use the insights from it to learn about what you're going through, or even better, play it with one or more friends. And then every time you land on a particular spot, you talk about that part of your own healing journey.
0: Oh and it's a God, good I way to get it. to know
1: each other. Yay! So it- <laughs> It's a free download on my website, and you can find it easily enough by going to BobVetter.com. So my last name is Vetter, V like Victor, E-T-T-E-R. So go to BobVetter.com for that free download, and we have a community of people who are interested in spirituality and healing. You can find all my uh, podcasts and maria i hope you're going to be on my podcast as well hey
0: i'm so excited yes <laughs> bob it's been such a such a pleasure talking to you loved it before we wrap up i also like to ask you something i always ask all the guests something different but um for you now what was <laughs> look i'm like oh it's so many what was your biggest spiritual breakthrough on the last year especially from i'm gonna say especially counting last year because i think last year was very big for all of us uh, this lockdown being you know spending yeah. so much time with ourselves with our family with <laughs> being yeah, able so to run me, away
1: <laughs> for me it was it was an interesting time because um covid the covid lockdown the lockdown here in new york was pretty severe you know yeah. we there yeah. When you go leave the house, there was nobody on the street. And for me, it made me really think about my own spirituality as um, being like a bear, you know, going into that period of hibernation, but coming out with this stronger medicine than ever. Mm-hmm. You know, a bear, bear goes into this hibernation state and then comes back out, you know, and the bear is often connected with healing as well. So for me, it it was both a time of, oh my goodness, where are we? How are we going to move forward from this? And also a time of great spiritual revelation and um, internal process, like a like a hibernation period Mm -hmm. but coming out stronger that's how I feel
0: okay I love it thank you thank you so much I know it was I I said it for a lot of people who are spiritual I know for last year it was a lot of revolutions happening in emotionally and physically everything But uh, Bob, thank you so much uh, for everybody who's listening. Thank you for listening. If you have any comments or questions, just drop it on the on the thread. I'll put Bob's uh, info here as well. But so, uh, make sure to check it out. It's easy to find him, bobvetter.com. Okay. And uh, we'll see you next time. And thank you very much, Bob.
1: Thank you so much, Maria.
0: Thanks. Bye. Thanks for tuning in, lovies. I love to hear your thoughts and opinions. So drop your comments or give us a shout. I'd like to get to know you more and what help and support do you need most to help you grow your business. I am Maria C. Krause and I help entrepreneurs become more visible by sharing their unique story, inspire, heal and make a bigger impact. If you'd like to become a guest or a collaborator in any of our platforms, or simply want to know about how I can help you take your business to the next level, you can find me and all social media platforms under Maria C. Krause, or check out my website for freebies and updates at www.mariackrause.com. Make sure to follow us and share with your best besties to get your weekly dose of inspiration and motivation to kick ass in life and in business. Love, like, be. Have a wonderful day, whatever in the world you are. Bye.